Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. I'm so excited to be back with you guys and jumping into another topic and question um, that I think has so much relevance to us today, both from a health perspective and from a spiritual perspective. And so I want to talk about the concept of self-care and discuss a few of the aspects of its importance in our lives for our mental health and then its relevance to our spiritual formation as believers You know, for many, the topic of self-care can be very complicated, especially within the context of our Christian faith. And if you've grown up believing that we have to put others ahead of ourselves, as scripture says, then self-care can seem maybe unbiblical or even selfish at times. In addition to this view, I think also another contributing factor would be the busyness of our schedules, right? The commitments we make to our career or even the quality time we want to spend with our family or friends all contributes to a lack of formation in this area. Socially speaking, we see this as a cultural norm, right? I mean, our society is always busy. We are working and producing, planning, serving, chasing after the next thing that will bring us to a new level of achievement or satisfaction. We just don't have the time to spend on ourselves, right? Or we don't feel like it's the best use of our time. Likewise, in relation to our Christian faith, I think sometimes we can also view our activities for God as more important than our relationship with God. Thus, we emphasize our service and productivity for God as more important than who we are to Him. This has been my own story. You know, what I've come to find both personally and professionally is that often our doing trumps our being. And the result often is revealed in our bodies, right? Through stress or burnout, through emotional distress and lack of attunement to our needs, both emotionally and spiritually. We can feel guilty for needing to take a break and then at the same time resist the reality that we have limitations at all, right? And because the assumption here again and again comes back to that I think admitting that we have a need is somehow failure, In some way, we have come to believe this, that our need for a break or our need for rest means that we're somehow not enough. And so whether it be our internal motivation or this messaging, our personality, or the pressure from outside sources around us, 
we can all neglect the toll it takes on us at times. You know, I think even in our service to God, we can so easily lose sight of the posture and purpose of our ministry and motivation. And I have experienced this in my own life, you know, rarely resting to hear from God. I would act out of the motions and miss the message of the gospel completely. And so there's something so powerful about slowing down and being with the Lord. And this has been my experience over the past several years, learning that self-care is not simply a suggestion or something that's psychologically or mentally healthy for me, but it's truly a requirement, not only for my profession, but it's a vital aspect of my spiritual formation practice that invites me to honor my limitations and to attend to my needs mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So I truly believe that self-care is a foundational piece to the healing process. And so for many of my clients, this is where I start, you know, this is our foundation and we always will kind of get an idea of where we're at with self-care and our views and perspectives around that. And so today I want to revisit this concept with you guys and its importance in our life and its relevance to how we grow into our Christ-likeness and our love for others. So let's start with just a little bit of background on self-care. What is self-care and and how did it originate? Well, I thought this was interesting. The term self-care was actually coined in the 1950s by the medical community, which quickly grew in support through social and activist groups in the 1960s. This idea of self-care was initiated to promote personal autonomy and responsibility to reduce the risk of illness and disease. So in the 50s, self-care was highly relied upon due to the lack of access people had to health care and making it today the foundation of our healthcare system. So we see that with the rise of mental health awareness, even over the last 10 years, self-care has shifted to include several dimensions of one's health. So It takes many forms in our culture today, right? And I think, though, in some ways, this can be contributing to maybe our negative outlook. We see how social media has kind of magnified and maybe even glorified this idea of self-care and and self-promotion. And maybe you assume self-care to be checking out from responsibilities or binging Netflix or spending a lot of time or money on your appearance, although these things aren't inherently wrong in and of themselves. I think they speak to the way we seek to meet our needs. The American Psychological Association, APA, defines self-care as providing adequate attention to one's physical and psychological wellness. So this is the framework. You know, although there's so many models, if you Google this, there's so many models of self-care out there today, but all of them include these four specific dimensions, our emotional health, our psychological health, our spiritual health, and our physical health. So when we're speaking about self-care, we are not bound to one single area of our health, like sleep or hygiene or physical appearance or you know, our mental health. It's all of these things that contribute to our day-to-day functioning. So why is it important to provide adequate attention to these four domains? And I think even more importantly, the question we could ask is what relevance to these areas of our lives hold as maybe spiritual disciplines? I think from my clinical experience, I see self-care often as essential for both developing a healthy sense of self and then also such a large contributor to our process of growth and healing and health. In therapy, self-care promotes empowerment, autonomy, personal responsibility, and self-efficacy. One of the first questions I ask people 
is how often they're meeting these needs in their lives, because we have needs in all of these areas. You know, one of the most profound things I think self-care does for us as human beings is that it initiates a movement towards self-compassion. It admits two important truths that we have to wrestle with. One, we all have needs. And two, we are worthy to have these needs met. And here is where I see such a beautiful parallel to scripture's depiction of our identity as God's children and the invitation to come to Jesus with our needs and be filled and refreshed. So what if we begin to view self-care as an invitation to slow down, honor our limits, and rest and rely on the sufficiency of God to supply our needs? What I find so powerful is that Jesus modeled these practices of self-care throughout his ministry. He took time to rest, fellowship, eat, sleep, spend time with the Father, step away from ministering to be quiet and still and alone. It is through this example we learn that we are given the command to work from a place of rest, as Pete Scazzaro says, instead of working for our rest. So how do we begin to practice self-care? Well, I think one of the first things that is really important is that we become aware of our needs in these four dimensions, and then we can identify ways to attend to them within our daily and weekly rhythms. So let's quickly look at these four areas and the practices of each of them that can promote emotional and spiritual wellness. So first we have physical. And when I think of physical needs, I think of the body. You know, our bodies have such value to God. Being made in the image of God, Genesis one twenty seven says this, that we are made in his image. And this is a significant aspect of being both made in form and function of who God is. So we have intrinsic value and our bodies are part of that process. And then in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how our bodies are considered temples. We have the spirit of God indwelling in us. And so he reminds us that our bodies are temples to the Lord. And so we are to honor God with our bodies because the temple is holy and we are that temple. So the question here is, you know, how do we meet the needs of the body? This practice can be very simple, yet significant to the way we honor God through our bodies. What if we started to see our sleep, our physical exercise, our food as acts of worship and ways to honor and steward our bodies well? I think it's also important to note here that the Bible shares so many stories that allude to the importance of our physical needs. And so I don't have time to quote them, but go look up, you know, 1 Kings 19 or even look at Jesus's ministry and how he always moved towards meeting those physical needs of the people. It's so powerful to be able to recognize how our our bodies are part of the spiritual formation process. And then in addition to our physical needs, we also have emotional needs, right? This is our need for love and care and connection with others and God. I think it's so powerful that our emotions matter to God. And I've had so many interactions with people that have said, you know, Carly, I've I've experienced, you know, from the church that that God doesn't really care about my feelings. And I'm like, where do you read that? Because when I see Jesus throughout his ministry and throughout the gospels, I see him always coming towards not just meeting those physical needs like we talked about, but also getting to a deeper level with people. And I think of the story of Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4. You know, Jesus saw this woman. That in itself was just culturally 
incredible. But then also he acknowledges both her need physically and then he speaks to the deeper need that she has for connection and affection that was missing in her life. And we also see how distress is depicted in the Bible as both a raw and honest expression, not hidden or dismissed from God, but brought to him through prayer and lament. Even Jesus wept in the garden and cried out to God for comfort in times of need. You know, we are all intrinsically wired to desire love and connection and affection. And emotions are given by God, right? And so even though sin has changed the way our emotional needs are sometimes met or unmet or dismissed in hurtful ways, right? Brokenness has kind of shattered the design here, yet there is such a redemption in this story as we see Jesus coming and bringing all things together and how we can see through safe community and healthy relationships that support and love is obtainable. And this is why Jesus came, right? To draw us to himself and to meet our deepest needs of the heart. So what are your needs and how do you meet your emotional needs? Do you talk to God about your feelings? Are you in community with those who are safe and consistent? As we open ourselves up to acknowledging our heart's desires for connection with God and others, we will find that our capacity for love grows and the depth in our relationship deepens. So in addition to our physical needs and our emotional needs, we also have psychological needs. And this third area can, in other words, be described as things pertaining to our thoughts, to learning, to the cognitive aspect of things, our minds, right? What we think about has power. And I think this is why the Apostle Paul uses the symbolism of the helmet of salvation, which covers and protects the minds against the lies of sin and shame. You know, Romans 12 also talks about how we are to renew our minds daily so that we are not conformed to the ways of the world. This is so hard to do, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Our world drives our thoughts through media and music and messaging, and yet we are given instruction throughout all of Scripture to meditate on the Word of God, to think about what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. So how do we attend to our thought life? What do we think about? Because whatever we think about has tremendous effect over our emotions and our actions. This is why the truth of scripture is vital in our spiritual formation practice. We need to daily, moment by moment, return to the truth of who we are, who God is, and what our purpose and his promises are. Some simple ways to engage our thoughts can be through journaling them, challenging thoughts by questioning them, and inviting friends and safe people into how our perceptions are persuading us. And then also meditating on the truths of scripture and studying the word are all ways to equip our minds and to surrender our own understanding, as limited as it is, to the will and way of God. And lastly, I think, and most importantly, we have spiritual needs. And I call these needs of the soul. Not only are we thinking, feeling, and physical beings, but we also have souls which desire purpose, meaning, and belonging. We all experience a longing and a desire to be known and seen. And I believe this is why Ecclesiastes 3 talks about how God has placed eternity in man's heart. We are designed to be known and seen by God. In Ephesians 1, we read over and over, it is through Christ and in Him we are called to belong to the family of God. 
In him, we have blessings of eternity. In him, we are chosen, called, equipped, forgiven, given grace, given the Holy Spirit as our guarantor. I don't know about you or what your current view of God is, but my prayer is that we each would come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And as Paul says, that our eyes of our hearts may be opened so that we will know what the hope is to which we have been called What are the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe? So how do we meet our spiritual needs? What brings you close to God? Is it the mountains or the shore? Is it music or song? Is it silence or solitude? Go there, be there, and abide there. In John 15, Jesus reminds us that we cannot bear fruit apart from him. And this is the foundational aspect of biblical self-care. As we develop a rhythm of resting and relying on God, we find a new perspective in the way we work and live and love. So I hope that in reflecting on these areas of self-care, we will all start to begin stewarding our bodies and minds and souls well. You know, there are so many resources out there for beginning to incorporate self-care into our lives. But one model I love is through Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality. Um, he specifically discusses Sabbath keeping as a way of practicing weekly self-care through four specific elements that I want to share in closing. One is stop. This is through stopping our work, paid and unpaid, and then rest physically and mentally Delight, finding joy and things that bring us delight and gratitude. What is fun? What do you enjoy doing? Do that. Be there. Find God in it. And then finally, contemplate. And this is where we would reflect on who God is and maybe remind ourselves of the many ways God has met us throughout the week. These four areas are not exclusive to self-care, but they can help us engage all parts of our bodies Uh, mind, soul, strength, and spirit. So I encourage you to start small. Pick one area this week, maybe, that you want to begin taking small steps in to set aside time, a few hours, a day, a weekend, and begin to practice abiding in these areas. I hope that God will meet you there, and I hope that it will be encouraging and that you will find rest for your soul. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarcouillier.com. Therapy and Theology is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.